0: Support comes from Empower Missouri's Week of Action with in-person and virtual advocacy training for affordable housing, criminal justice, and food security initiatives, March 25th through 28th. Registration at EmpowerMissouri.org WOA.
1: From St. Louis Public Radio. This is Politically Speaking
2: the 2024 Missouri legislative session is less than one month away. With the session running concurrently with an election year, one of the main questions is how much legislators will accomplish by May. On this week's episode of Politically Speaking, Representative Carrie Ingle joins the show. Ingle, a Democrat from Lee's Summit, shared her predictions for this year's session, how Democrats may fare in the 2024 elections, as well as her thoughts on whether abortion will be on the ballot. Let's hit the Music
0: this is the Politically Speaking Podcast, the definitive show about Missouri politics.
1: My promise to St. Louis was that I would do the absolute most
2: for each and every person, starting with those who have the very least. What I wanted to do was look and see what other states are doing. We have to be willing. To change those laws, that they are balanced and they affect everybody people. As somebody that grew up in the St. Louis area,
1: in North St. Louis County, I didn't know any lawyers growing
2: up. we got to find
0: long-term solutions to make government better, but also to be able to provide services to people.
1: I don't want to leave that federal money that we've been leaving all these years on the table.
0: We need to be spending this money to take care of Missourians.
1: I thought we accomplished a lot this year, but a lot more needs to be done.
2: And welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, St. Louis Public Radio's State House and Politics reporter, Sarah Kellogg. Joining me in studio in St. Louis, he is St. Louis Public Radio's political correspondent.
1: Jason Rosenbaum.
2: And joining us from Lee's Summit, Missouri, she is the House Representative for District 35. Gary Engel. Hi, Representative. Thanks again for joining us on the show. Is this your third time on the show or second? I can't remember.
0: I think so. I think it's my third. Yeah.
2: Very nice. I know we did the the duo with you and Representative Veet about a couple years ago, so I think that's the last time we've had that's you right. on. It's good to have you back, but we have a lot to talk about. So, But before we do that, I want to make sure you remind our listeners what your district is, who you represent.
0: Absolutely. So I am um, the state representative for House District 35, which is the western part of Lee Summit. Um, I represent all of Southern Lee Summit all the way north um, to about Nolan and Forty Highway. So I've got some Raytown and Kansas City as well.
2: All right. We are officially less than one month away from session, so it no longer feels too early to ask these questions. So <laughs> Representative Ingle, how do you feel that this session is going to go in 2024?
0: Oh, wow. So Sessions are, are chaotic in, an, in a normal year, in a normal election year, when we don't have all of our, almost all of our statewide offices up for election, and we don't have, you know, primaries happening both within the House and in the Senate, um, and then with amongst our statewide's as well. And so um, that level of dysfunction often trickles down and makes it to where we have absolutely nothing happening. in especially in the Senate, the House will continue to operate. Um, the House, you know, generally passes a lot of pieces of legislation that then get stalled in the Senate due to the filibusters. Um, and so uh, it, it'll be a really, a really, really successful year if we can pass the budget by the constitutional deadline and get the FRA passed.
2: And And for our listeners, remind what the FRA is.
0: So the FRA is the federal reimbursement allowance. It's essentially a tax paid by our hospital systems um, for the the federal portion of Medicaid. And it's basically how they get all of that that drop down spending from the federal government. It's how all of our all of our hospitals financially run. The federal reimbursement allowance has to be passed every three years. Um and generally it is historically it has been very bipartisan and it's been passed clean. However, the last the last time we had to go into special session in order to get it passed, and there were attempts by multiple uh, Republican senators to attach abortion language to it, um, which would have caused all kinds of problems with the federal government and would have created an issue where hospitals were not able to to pull down that funding, and so. Um, there are a lot of concerns about our ability to get that through this next year as well.
2: Yeah, I was gonna ask, are there concerns that that might happen again, that you'll have to go to special session during an election year?
0: Yes, absolutely. Um, I think some of the intention from uh, Speaker Plocker in calling back the budget appropriation committees early um, here in December is to try to get a head start on the budget. But the fact remains that regardless of when the House completes their budget, regardless of when we approve it and send it over, The Senate still has to then go through their own process, and so they can still use the power of the filibuster to hold that up at any point. And will the fact
2: that it's an election year you feel like even affect the rate of productivity in the House, or maybe the language or bills that you see?
0: Absolutely. So, regardless of what we've been told the last few years um, regarding, um, you know, abortion laws and abortion bills. Um, and the anti-trans bills that were passed last year. We were assured multiple times that they would not seek to go any further um, in restrictions for either you know, abortion or um, the anti-transgender bills. And what we've seen bills pre-filed in both this House and the Senate is that they wanna remove the grandfather clauses from the anti-transgender bills um, from that were passed last year and they want and as far as the abortion bills go they want to charge women with murder for seeking an abortion um and so we see this level of extremism every election cycle but it's really ramping up in the rhetoric it's really ramping up both at the national and the state level um and that is incredibly problematic and makes it to where it's, it's, it's hard to foresee that we'll be able to pass really good bipartisan pieces of legislation that benefit all Missourians when one when the majority party is so fixated on these culture war issues that ultimately they will lose in in you know the public arena
2: we're going to get to the abortion bills in in a couple minutes but to, regarding the the bills uh barring trans youth from accessing gender affirming health care and barring them from participating in sports teams that align with their gender identity you know last year those were the two bills passed and republicans like you know uh senate Uh, President pro tem Caleb Rowden, as well as other Republicans have said, you know, that's they don't want to target bills, you know, targeting adults. They just really, you know, they kept it to kids. Do you believe them when they say that? Or are you worried about this next level of bills?
0: I believe that that's not the intention of some Republicans. Absolutely. But I judging from their rhetoric and judging from the bills that they have filed. No, I, I don't. I don't believe that this will not be a concern going forward. Um, the Republican Party is is fractured into multiple factions and the most extreme ones are going to be pushing this. And when you are dealing with a year that is going to be Republican primaries and it's a push to the right flank, to outright flank one another, then it's hard to to not to not see a world in which that's where the conversation goes, um, regardless of what the more moderate um, more mainstream Republicans want, they're going to be pushed into these conversations. We all are.
2: Last session, a couple of big topics for Republicans and uh, making it harder to amend uh, the state's constitution, uh, sports betting, stopping any more foreign purchases of farmland. All of these didn't happen, and a lot due to kind of the differences between the Senate and the House on what that legislation should look like. Are you anticipating you know, a similar scenario this year?
0: Absolutely. Um, like, like I said before, the different factions within the Republican Party are apparent in both the House and the Senate. Um, and so the the division on 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 every one of those issues on 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 how far the the IP reform should go. Um, and it's it's the same way um, as far as the foreign land ownership um, issues where, you know, there's there's areas of of mutual agreement, and then it just dissolves into, you know, one side wanting to go far further than than the other side is willing to go.
2: And is that ultimately kind of good news for Democrats? Like, is, you know, that means that bills don't pass. Like, is that a good thing or is it just kind of frustrating to see this, you know, gridlock each year?
0: I mean, when it comes to pieces of legislation that are going to hurt Missourians, it's absolutely good. The less bills we pass, the better, Right. But when it comes to functional government and when there are pieces of legislation that have you know broad broad support like the the child care tax credit stuff, uh, you know pieces of legislation like that that are that are broadly supported and then are used as tools by folks who are trying to push these more contentious bills they're essentially the the bills with the bra- the broad support are held hostage um in pursuit of these really lofty um far far extreme bills that do not have the support of the republican
2: priorities that i listed which one do you think is going to put democrats the most on defense this this coming session
0: um i mean honestly it's <laughs> I would I would say that probably the initiative petition reform is probably the, probably the most I know that it is Speaker Plocker's number one priority. Um, there were multiple attempts to come back for a special session to try to get it through, um, but I know that you know across across the state, as we see over and over, um, Missourians love our initiative petition process. They engage in it um they overwhelmingly support the issues that are presented um and you know and i've i've met with legislators from across the country and who are absolutely jealous of our initiative petition process it is a a a form of direct democracy that we have um and it it makes perfect sense that folks in jefferson city don't want it because we're able to the, the the people themselves are able to pass pieces of legislation that the legislature isn't, that the legislature gets gets stuck on, um, you know, social, cultural war issues and doesn't get pieces of legislation passed that that are that are broadly supported by folks across the state. And so it makes sense why they want to stop it. But um, I'll continue to support the will of the people through the initiative petition process.
1: Well, let's transition into that that issue more specifically. Um, We've mentioned this episode. At least 80 times on this show because it was so memorable. But on the last day of session, the aforementioned Speaker of the House, uh, Dean Plocker, basically said that if "quote unquote" IP reform didn't happen, then abortion would become legal in the state of Missouri. Which, you know, some people, Democrats, have said, "Thanks for being honest about your your intentions here," uh, but. What did you make of what Plocker said there? And do you think that that is going to be a motivating factor behind getting something that makes the Constitution more difficult to amend on the 2024 ballot?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, he essentially said the quiet part out loud. This is what Democrats have been have been saying for years and whether that was regarding Medicaid expansion, the overturning of right to work. Um, you know, the legalization of marijuana, all of these issues were things that Democrats have been pushing, we've been filing legislation for for decades. And so um, we know, we know from polling, we know from knocking doors, we know from meeting with folks in, in communities across the state that overwhelmingly Missourians support a woman's right to make decisions over her body, that they do not believe that Republican senators belong in those doctor's offices with women, um, that this is a decision that should be made between a woman and her family and her doctor and not re- Republicans who, you know, struggle to understand um, the own their own bills that they that they file regarding this issue. And so, yeah, I I think I think he nailed it on the head. I think that if if and when abortion is on the ballot in the state of Missouri, it will be passed, it will be put into our Constitution. And, um, and yeah, they'll do anything that they can to stop that process, but it'll be too late. As far as the initiative petition process goes, the Republicans in the House do not have the, um, the numbers to pass an emergency clause. And so it wouldn't be able to stop anything that would be on the 2024 ballot. It would only be going forward after that point.
1: Before I ask you about the specific initiatives, do you think that there's going to be enough time for people to get the roughly 171,000 signatures needed to get one of these proposed constitutional amendments on the ballot.
0: In short, yes, I do. I absolutely do. I think that we have the capacity and the will and there's the excitement um, amongst folks across the state. Um, You know, we have seen the blueprint for how to do this in Kentucky and Kansas and Ohio, you know, those those liberal Mecca's right. just kidding uh so we we know how it's we know how to do it we've been very successful in initiative petition um processes in the past um we we are ready with boots on the ground um and I know that folks across the political across the political spectrum um are going to be pushing and working to make sure that it that it's ready that we have enough signatures by by the deadline
1: so there are two groups that are circulating petitions to legalize abortion, and I want to talk about the Missourians for Constitutional Freedom initiatives first. They have 11 petitions that would expand abortion either to 24 weeks, fetal viability, and then there's one that is that have no gestational limit on when you can get an abortion. Um, and there is a real disagreement over whether to go with fetal viability or no gestational uh, limits. And And Planned Parenthood officials have been very outspoken that they do not want a weak limit or a fetal viability limit. What's kind of your thoughts on this? because it's this seems to be delaying abortion rights groups from coming up with a specific proposal to start circulating.
0: I, I think that's right. Um, and it's <laughs> I, I think everyone has the best intent in mind. When it, when it comes to when it comes to this there, there are differences of opinion on you know viability versus the, the weeks of gestation. I think that the majority of Missourians support the original language of Roe. Um, I think that that's 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 the language that has been pulled the most over the last 40 years um, and has had overwhelming support the entire time. Um, I think that obviously we want to shoot for the stars, but we have to live in reality as well. And just and
1: just I was just to interject. row is fetal viability. That is kind okay. of what 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 yes. we're, we're talking about here. But continue.
0: Yes, and so I think I think that that's probably what has the most overwhelming support. That's what people understand. Um, and so I think I think that's probably what we need to what we need to look at um, is is where folks are. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe not where we want them to be eventually, but where where are they right now? You know, what what can we get past now? Um, what makes the most sense and has the most public support. Um, as long as we are ensuring that the health um, and life of the mother is being taken into consideration, um, you know, looking at what happened in Texas over this last week and the Supreme Court of Texas ruling that you know she, this woman did not have the right to have an abortion in the, in, in the state of Missouri, or I'm sorry, in the state of Texas, regardless um, of the fact that her baby is not going to live. Her baby is not going to live. Um, this is it's a huge risk to her own health and her own future fertility. Um, she is a mother of several other children, um, and so this is this is something that we are very worried about in Missouri as well, um, and in states ac- across the country who have these archaic laws that you know draw in these exceptions for emergency situations and the health and life of the mother, but are not really. Um, Sussed out, you know, they're not really drawn out, um, and so it's it's going to be up to the courts, um, and that's really really scary to think that in a in an emergency situation, your life could could be up to not your doctor, not your not your decisions, but are the attorney general of the state of Missouri, the attorney general of the state of Missouri, and then a court is going to determine whether or not you live or die in the state.
1: Now, there's another initiative by a group called the Missouri Women and Family Research Fund, which is much more modest. It has exceptions to for someone to get an abortion if they're raped, if they are a victim of incest, if the health and safety of the mother is at stake, are up to 12 weeks of pregnancy. And I, I know abortion rights groups do not like this initiative at all. And I understand why, because it is it has been marketed as a much more modest thing than Fetal viability, but they—they are—they have—they are circulating signatures right now, and they appear to have some sort of financial backing to get this on the ballot. And if that's the only thing that's voted on next year, do you think that it will have support of abortion rights proponents? Given that it's fairly limited by comparison to the other group.
0: So I. I've been talking since 2019 about my concerns regarding the lack of exceptions for rape and incest. Um, And had been told, you know, numerous times by Republican colleagues that, you know, this isn't a, that there aren't a lot of of survivors of rape or incest that would even need an abortion, that this is just such a small percentage that that, that this is not um, really an actual issue. And that is overwhelmingly well, overwhelmingly disagreed with by the public Um the public overwhelmingly wants exceptions. They see that, you know, this is a really vulnerable group of people that, you know, should not have to go through this situation and should have the rights to their body to make this decision, um, you know, with their family, with their churches, with their communities and with their um, with their doctors and not with their Republican senators. So I, I see, I see why folks want, to codify that exception. I, I see that. Um and after the passage of 126 back in 2019, I remember folks talking about wanting to file a bill the next year, Republican folks wanting to file a bill the next year to put those exceptions back in. And so this has been a conversation that we've had for years. Um but I think I think that the main concern is is that the that gestational age within um Within this particular initiative petition, um, that would doesn't make exceptions down the road, right? So what I know from working with victims of sexual assault um, is that they disclose at different times. It's it's not it's not necessarily you know th- that they disclose the next day or the next week. It may be something that happens a little bit later on. Um, and that we need to we need to be more um, open minded about what that looks like because that's the reality of the situation. Um, I also have a con- I also have concerns about the safety and the privacy of folks having to report in such a way that the government is is made aware of both their medical decisions and their their trauma history <laughs> their sexual assault history um, if they're not wanting to participate in um, um criminal po- prosecution of whoever their assailant was and so uh, there's i have i have a lot of concerns um, that i would like to maybe um talk through with some folks and see if we can get get somewhere um but i i don't think it's um impossible that this is that this is going that that is the initiative that will be on the ballot and so i think hopefully we can work together to get somewhere we need to take a quick break, but we'll be right
2: back. And we're back on Politically Speaking with our guest, Representative Carrie Engel. She is a Lees Summit Democrat who represents the 35th District in the Missouri House of Representatives. I want to shift to a topic that seems to have bipartisan support in the legislature, which is child care. That was something that uh, Governor Parson spoke about last year. That was something that House floor leader John Patterson brought up last year. What would you like to see this legislative session regarding child care?
0: I would love to see that this piece of legislation passed um you know i it it was something that overwhelmingly passed the house multiple times um representative shields created a great bipartisan team a coalition that that helped get it through i know that senator lauren arthur in the senate worked really really hard on trying to push it through once again this is something that has been used as um a weapon by um some far-right folks in the senate to um, to try to get their own pieces of legislation through instead of passing through what is in the best interest and overwhelmingly supported by Missourians. What kind of legislation would you like to see regarding childcare? So I really like I really like this piece of legislation, and what it does in a nutshell is it incentivizes businesses to um, create kind of like an HSA, like a health savings account, um, but it would be specifically for childcare spending. So it would be, you know, that, that pre-taxed amount that they would be able to put in, maybe there would be matching. Um, and so in the, and the government, you know, it, it would be a great way to, to spur our workforce. Um, I know that when I was, um, when my kids were both little and in daycare, it essentially ate up my entire salary. Um, and so it's. You know, once once your kids get out of daycare, it's it's essentially like you've gotten another job or, or two other jobs. Um, it's just, it's not sustainable um, without a lot of really thoughtful investment in childcare. I know that it's it's not just an issue of um, childcare being really expensive. It's also a lack of, of childcare facilities. We have a lot of childcare deserts across the state um, and folks have to make the decision um, whether to go to work or whether to stay home with their kids who don't have, you know, um, safe, reliable childcare, um, and it's it's become a workforce issue. You know, it's we don't have a lack of jobs in this state. We have a lo- lack of um, workers to go to them. And if we can address this huge issue of childcare, make sure that that families that we're investing in um, investing in families, as far as you know that that early that early childhood development is is so critical. And so making sure folks have have that and are able to go to the workplace, it's it's just a win-win across the board. We're investing not only in our current workforce, but our future workforce.
2: Do you feel like this is a Democratic priority this year, and is it something that could possibly pass?
0: It is absolutely a Democratic priority, and it's, it's a bipartisan priority, and it's something that has had overwhelming support in the House, and it's had a lot of support in the Senate as well, with the exceptions... Once again, of a couple senators who want to use it as a, as a weapon, um, to try to get their own legislation through.
2: Before we move on to non-legislation things, I just want to ask if there are any other priorities you feel like Democrats have legislative-wise going into session.
0: So we have we have a slew of legislative um, priorities, everything from public safety, um, you know, making sure that we have we have great mental health resources and, um, you know, our law enforcement and our, all of our, all of our public safety officials, whether it's fire and, or EMTs have what they need to keep our community safe. Um, you know, we have, we have a lot of bills around that. Um, we have a lot of bills around, um, workforce development and spurring economic growth specifically around small businesses. And so there's, there's so many areas in which, um, I I, I, there would be broad partisan or broad bipartisan support if it were not an election year. Uh,
1: Representative, earlier this year, I spoke with you extensively about the. Immense issues in the Children's Division relating to investigation backlogs, and uh, we'll link to the story in the Web post, but the, the, the upshot is, especially in the St. Louis region. There aren't enough investigators to look into child abuse or neglect. The investigators that are there have unfathomably high caseloads, um, and there's real fear that child abuse and neglect is not being thoroughly investigated, especially in places where there's a shortage of investigators. And and I, I think that there it's also there's also problems in other parts of the state, but it's especially bad in St. Louis, and. There's a lot of, like, ideas about how to fix the system systematically, but it all comes down to there aren't enough investigators. The starting salary is too low. And unless there's a lot more money to raise the salaries and hire more investigators across the state, this is going to be an endemic problem.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, It's while we've done a lot within my tenure to, you know, raise the salary of Children's Division employees. We. (laughs) <laughs> they started so so very very low that um, we just have a we have a long way to go. Um, I think it's you know I, I say this all the time you we show we show what we care about. Um, the budget is a moral document, and we show what we care about and what we value through what we spend money on, um, and what we invest in. And if we truly care about the safety of the children of this state, um, we've got to invest in their safety. And in part of that is to invest in the folks that are supposed to be ensuring their safety. Um, It just, it seems really simple to me that if you want, if you want folks to stay, if you wanna be able to recruit, then you wanna offer a competitive salary. You wanna offer a competitive package um, to get the best folks and to get them to stay. It is an incredibly hard job. I've had this job. It is incredibly difficult um it keeps you up at night it's not a job that it's not an 8 hour a day job where you can go home and it's over um this is a job that you were out late at night you were up early in the morning you were on call 24/7 um including holidays and um because your job is to keep children safe you're a first responder and so it's it's not a job where you can just switch off at the end of the day um it's it's incredibly important that we take care of the people that are taking care of our children and put value on them. And we do that. Through their salaries, that's that's how you retain staff.
1: And and do you think you'll be able to raise the starting salary not only for investigators, but other children's division workers this year?
0: I, I we are absolutely going to try. And I know that that is that there is bipartisan support for that in the House.
2: We're going to ask you a couple questions about the twenty twenty four election, and if you could answer it a couple questions, we think that would be great. How do you think Missouri Democrats are going to do in the twenty twenty four election cycle? Do you think that they're going to be competitive running in statewide office after years of futility?
0: Um, yes, I do. Um, I think that they'll absolutely be competitive, especially um, my good friend and and leader, Crystal Quaid. And, um, you know, due to the political climate and the the craziness that's happening within the Republican primaries, I absolutely believe that it is the time for folks, especially in Missouri, to um, hear Crystal's message of people over politics.
2: We are now looking at Republican primaries for most of the statewide positions in 2024, Secretary of State, Governor and Lieutenant Governor, even Treasurer, even though there is currently a Republican in that position. Uh, what do you make of all these primaries?
0: Um, they're entertaining to say the least, um, but it's, it's terrifying. Republican primaries are terrifying because they are a race to the right that it is as they are trying to right out outright flank one another, um, because that is generally who shows up for the, those Republican primaries.
2: Is it a good thing for Democrats that Republicans have this competition?
0: Yes. Um, I think I think competition is is good in politics in general. And so I I think it's good. Um, It's a really great contrast for Democrats, for sure, um, to show that, you know, they're focused on kitchen table issues and we're focused on Missourians day to day life issues, the things that they care about.
1: So you met we mentioned the Republican primaries, but the aforementioned uh, House Minority Leader Crystal Quaid has her own Democratic primary against Springfield businessman Mike Hamra. Um, Do you think it's a good thing that she has to go through that primary, considering Hamra could self-fund and potentially could drain Leader Quaid of a lot of resources going into the election?
0: I mean, to be honest, I I don't know anything about Mike Hamra. Um, I'm not familiar with him or any work that he may have done um, with politics in the state of Missouri. What I am familiar with is, is, you know, my friend Crystal Quaid, who is, who's been in, um, in the trenches with me, with, with Missourians for, you know, a decade. Um, I think that she's, she's proven that she will fight for every Missourian. And, um, so I, I, I I think that it is, will there be a primary? Yeah, but Missourians know who Crystal Quaid is. And so I, I it's kind of a non-issue.
1: Do you think that w- there's three Republicans running for governor, uh, Lieutenant Governor Mike Kehoe, Senator Bill Eigel, Attorney General Jay Ashcroft. Do you think that one of them would be easier for the Democratic gubernatorial nominee to defeat than others?
0: I think that two out of the uh, three are, are fairly extreme um, and. I know that in Republican politics, especially in the primaries, um, generally that plays better um, in that in that August primary, um, the, f- the further right you are, the more likely you are to garner the majority of the support. Um, and I think that that will be excellent for Crystal to make contrast with.
2: Do you think it's a good thing that there is a contested primary for the U.S. Senate between Lucas Kunz and Carla May? Could that complicate efforts to challenge Holly in the fall?
0: No, I think I think it's good. I think it's kind of one of those things that iron sharpens iron. Um, I think that they are going to um, push each other and and push um, support out across the entire 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 state and talking about the Democratic platform. Um, And so I think I I, I don't I don't see a downside to it at all. And what is your expectation
2: for how Missouri Democrats will do in terms of gaining ground in the Missouri House in twenty four?
0: Well, um, there are several seats that we're focused on that Joe Biden won in 2020, that we weren't able to pick up the seats in 20 or 22, um, that we have great candidates in. And so we are three seats away from breaking the um, Republican supermajority. We've picked up seats each of the last three, four cycles. Um, and I, I, my guess would be, um, a conservative guess would be that we pick up three to five. We could pick up as many as seven to nine.
2: That's all the time we have. Thank you so much, Representative Engel, for joining us on the show. Politically Speaking is a product of St. Louis Public Radio, which is a part of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. You can follow all of our coverage at stlpr.org. And Representative Engel, where can people find you on the internet where you want to be found?
0: <laughs> um, you can follow me on Twitter at uh, Rep. Engel, Um, And my website is CarrieEngel.com.
2: All right. Until next time. So long.
1: Politically Speaking is produced by Sarah Kellogg, Rachel Lippman, and me, Jason Rosenbaum. The show is edited by Fred Ehrlich. Read all of our coverage at stlpr.org. And if you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to Politically Speaking by searching the term Politically Speaking on Apple Podcasts. From St. Louis Public Radio. This is Politically Speaking.